0: Take your Bible, please, and open with us tonight to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 6. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 6 tonight. This is Faith Promise Month, and so we are, of course, preaching, you know, our, our theme this month is on missions, but I want to say that, that Faith Promise is bigger than missions, Somebody said, oh, you're going to preach on faith. We're going to preach on faith. We're going to preach on missions. Well, you don't have to be a missionary to live by faith. And you, I know some, I know a whole lot of folks that live by the faith of MasterCard, Visa, and Discover. You know, uh, that's, you know, so we don't, in these days, we are not as bound to, to live by faith, as we once were, when people lived off the land and all the rest, but in this day and hour, we, you know, we, we, we do things differently and we have things to fall back on, but it's not always been that way. But tonight, I want to look at the thought, uh, by faith. I want to look at that thought, by faith. And we might come back and look at some other verses, but I, I felt compelled to begin in verse number six of Hebrews chapter number eleven. And so if you will stand with me, I want you to look at what the scripture says. In my notes, Brother Rudy preached this verse a couple of years ago in Sherathon. Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. By faith. Let's bow our heads together if we can. Father, we need your help. and Lord, we're in spite of the hindrances. Lord, I pray that you would help us. May the word of God find its lodging place. And Lord, may you be glorified in all that's said and done in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Thank you very much. And please be seated. Now look back with your text. The Bible says, without faith it is difficult to please God. Is that what your version says? Well, you must have a different version. But without faith, it is uh, hard to please him. Difficult to please him. Inconvenient to please him. No, this old King James, you know what it says? It says, without faith, it is impossible, impossible. so I said, well, that's faith thing, it's optional. well, only if you don't want to please God, <laughs> I mean that's yeah, if you don't want to please God, you're good, yeah, just live by sight, but if you're going to please God, then you're going to have to live by faith, according to the scripture, and so uh and so somebody said, well, well, preacher, the, the Buddhists live by faith and the Hindus live by faith and the Muslims live by faith. Well, I want you to understand that they have misplaced faith. The common thought in today's world is it don't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. Well, I take you back to September 11th, 2001, and show you about some people who were very sincere about what they believed. And they believed that if they would take down airplanes and hit these national monuments of infidels and destroy all of these thousands of lives, that they would be immediately escorted into the presence of Allah, and they would be given 70 virgins who would be perpetually virgins for all of eternity. That's what they believed. And they sincerely believed it. Somebody said, well, how do you know that's sincere? They died for what they believed. Pretty sincere. If you're willing to die a fiery, tragic death, that's pretty sincere. Would you not say that's pretty sincere? Oh, they were sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. And in hell tonight, they're lifting up their eyes, realizing that they were sincerely wrong. Yeah. And there's coming a day they will renounce their faith and what they had because they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's going to happen. Without faith it is impossible to please him. Faith in what, preacher? Well, faith in the word of God. This this whole emphasis is about the word of God and God's promises uh, God's promises to these patriarchs, God's promises to these people. And so, faith not in some fairy tale, not faith in some superstition, not faith in, in some tradition, but faith in the Word of God. There's a crowd running around today talking about how uh, they, they're talking about, as a matter of fact, God told me today that he had somebody in his church get mad because he said it didn't preach on the King James Bible enough. He said, I preach out of the King James Bible every time I get up. He said, no, you don't preach about the King James Bible enough. And he said, I don't have to preach about the King James Bible because the people in our church believe in the King James Bible. You know what I found about that group? They believe the cover, Holy Bible. I do too, but they don't believe the rest of what's inside you can, according to that crowd, you can have all the wives you want to as long as you carry a King James Bible. Right. No, that's, that's messed up, folks. You're okay, I don't care who it is. That's, that's right. dis, disqual- called disqualification. That's right. Disqualification. Right. And I don't care how many King James Bibles they got. I don't care what authority there were on the printing or the translation of the King James Bible. Yeah. Sin right. is still right. sin. Amen. Whether you've got a King James Bible under your arm or an NIV, it's still sin. Amen? And ain't nothing gonna change that. And so faith in God's word, the right way, the way that we ought to live. The Bible tells us just in the previous verse that in verse five, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. But before his translation, Uh, He had this testimony, the Bible says, that he pleased God. What was his testimony? His testimony, that by faith, he pleased God. Faith in God's word. Can I say that faith in God's word is the prerequisite for pleasing God? What's a prerequisite? Well, if you were to, you're signing up for college courses, and you're a freshman, and you go in, and you see all the different courses, and you say, okay, I'm going to sign up for English 401. And uh, you were to sign up for that and go to that class, and uh, they, you, you, might, you might show up for the class, they might not catch it, but the minute that you go in, they're going to start talking about things that are so far advanced and so far over your head, and you're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't understand what you're talking about. And they'll look at you and say, well, did you not have... We, we, we covered that in English 101. If you not had 101, they go, no, I hadn't had not had 101. Well, you have to have 101 and then, then 102 and then 201, 202, 301, 302, and then, then 401, 402. He said, yeah, but I didn't want to take all those other ones. I just want to take the big one. Well, it don't work that way. You can't learn to fly an airplane by skipping flying a Cessna 150 and graduate to a 747 as your first f- with your flight instructor and you have never been in an airplane before they just don't do much flight training in 747s with 18 year old kids that ain't never been in an airplane before they just not a lot of that goes on you start out and you work your way up there's a prerequisite you have to have a, and by the way, you have to when you're flying, you have to have a prerequisite. You have to have somebody sitting beside you, for the first so many hours. It's up to the instructor. It depends depends on how you do. But I, you get so far, and then you get to solo, and you get to go up by yourself. And then, then after that, you you. You know, go to the point that you get your license, then you can carry somebody with you once you're, once you're uh, uh, certificated. You can do that. And so there are prerequisites. There are prerequisites in every part of our life, but there's a whole lot of people that don't understand that faith, and let me keep saying, keep adding here and parenthetically, in God's Word, faith is the prerequisite for pleasing God. Uh, it wasn't that faith that he was going to be translated. That's not how he got translated. I'm sure it surprised him as much as it surprised, I mean, it's, I mean the, the very thought of that. Brother Mays said it like this. He said, well, he said, the Bible says he walked with God. And so, so he figured that uh, him and God went for a walk one day. And uh, uh, the day got late. And they got to looking at, uh, looking at the distance, how far it was back to the house. And the Lord said, uh, said, Enoch, I don't believe it's closer to my house than it is yours. Why don't you just come spend the rest of the day with me? And so he did. And since there's no night up there, it's still day. And so he's still with him, amen? He, he just spent the rest of the day. It's an eternal day. And so he's still there spending the day. And so uh, faith produced a holy lifestyle that greatly pleased God. The Bible says he pleased God in verse number five that he had this testimony that he pleased God. And it was the pleasing God that resulted in his being translated. And so uh, why was he translated? Why does it say he was translated by faith? Well, because without faith in God's Word, it is impossible to please him. It doesn't say difficult, but it says impossible. And so if a lack of faith, I mean, if, if, if faith in God pleases God, and we know that the opposite is true. A lack of faith in God's word displeases God. And so, the truth of the matter is, in our day, unbelief, they pin a blue ribbon on unbelief. They pin a blue ribbon on people that, that question and deny, and, 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 you know, it's amazing to me that these, these God deniers today. In most cases, they're denying the very faith of their grandparents or their great-grandparents. My friend, I doubt very seriously if they come from a long line of atheists. I mean, it's possible. But what I'm saying is most of this crowd, and this Johnny-come-lately crowd, most of this crowd have evolved this, these theories in the universities. They're, they had a praying grandma somewhere. They had a praying grandma, great, great grandma. They might have been part of the Protestant denominations. They but they still knew God. And so, uh, but, but they don't want to talk about that. All they want to talk about is that now that man is smarter and we're wiser, and now we realize that life is nothing more than a combination of, of minerals and, and, uh, and, and water and uh, organic matter and uh, that uh, nothing big about it. Well, Make some life. I had somebody tell me the other day, I said, oh yeah, they've created life. I said, they ain't done it. He said, oh yeah, they created life. I said, I ain't done it. Oh yeah, they've created life. I said, no, they haven't. Because they use something live to make it live. They took something live and made it. They can mutate. They can, they can transfer life. But you can't take something that's dead and make it alive. That ain't never been done, and it won't ever be done, you know? Only God can do that. I was telling the boys last night in Bible college about the Denali frog. The Denali frog has is, is baffled biologists, chemists. It's baffling the, the, the pharmaceutical world. It's baffling Everybody. They said that there, there's no way that a fraud, that any kind of reptile, nothing reptilian. You know, one thing I like about uh, about Alaska, there are no snakes. I like that. There ain't no snakes in Alaska, are they? No, no snakes. Matter of fact, there are not even any spiders in Alaska, are they? Very little. I know she's scared of spiders, but uh, my my resident Alaskan. But there are. There, you don't have to worry about snakes in Alaska. I mean, no matter how snakey it looks, they ain't no snakes. They can't survive. And so the common theory has been for years that anything that's cold-blooded cannot survive above a certain latitude, a certain you know certain parallel. Can't, they can't do it. Can't survive. Well, that's what everybody said. That's what everybody thought, until they were out in Denali National Park one day, and here's a frog on a tree. And they looked at that and they said, well, somebody's turned it loose. That's what it is. Somebody's had a pet frog and come in here and turned it loose and it's going to mess up the ecosystem. That's what it's going to do. And boy, they, of course, they, they, no, no worry because this frog, it'll die. And, uh, it, and it's not going not to last the winter. So it's going to be kind of like the Boa constrictors, you know, in the Everglades, they turn them out. They, they live down there because it's hot, warm, and now they're an invasive species. But up here, it'll die. It'll kill out. Not a problem. They ain't but one problem. They found another one and another one and another one. And they said, you know, this, is, this can't be right because there's no possible way that a frog can live this far north and suffer the temperatures that Denali National Park suffers <coughs> 50, 60, and some believe even 70 below zero. That's not wind chills. That's actual temperatures. And this is what they found, that this little frog freezes to death every winter. This little frog, though, just before he freezes to death, when he feels his eyeballs getting cold, his body quickly sends out insulin throughout all over his body. And the insulin stored in his his body, it quickly just, it does a massive burst of insulin. And the insulin permeates all of his tissue so that when he freezes, it doesn't damage the tissue. It preserves it. And his eyes freeze, then his head freezes, Then he starts freezing all the way down, and then his heart freezes, solid as a rock, just as dead as a door now, until it starts thawing. And something miraculous happens every spring. That dead frog who's been dead now for since about August last year, September last year, that dead frog up in May and June, been dead all that time. That dead frog thaws, and that heart will catch a lick, ba boom, and it'll start beating back. And they have took them into laboratories, and they have frozen them, and thawed them, and frozen them, and thawed them, and frozen them, and thawed them. The poor old frog, he can't catch a break. He thinks it's he instead of. Global warming, he thinks we're having another ice age. You know, he gets froze about every other day. You know, he gets froze up. And so he, yeah, he's in bad shape. But, yeah. And to this day, they can't understand what makes those sails that look like they should be dead, what causes that frog to start beating and start breathing. I know exactly what does it the God of heaven. So I said, well, why would God put a frog in the Nolly National Park? I think he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. I believe it's there, so Dr. put will sit there and scratch his head, his old bald head, until it's sore, yeah. trying to figure out how that frog does that. But there are 17 countries currently studying that frog. 17 countries are studying that frog. Frogs. They have, they've, they've come in there and they'll only let them take so many, but they've taken some and they are now studying that frog in 17 different countries. And they're saying that medical breakthroughs could come from that frog. And so we know how to kill stuff. We just don't know how to get it back. But that frog of its own accord, because of the creator says, beat little heart and it starts beating again every spring. And so I'm talking about faith. Faith, the prerequisite in faith. The Bible says without faith it is impossible. It's impossible. Not just difficult, it's impossible to please him without faith, the prerequisite of faith. But then, look what the scripture says secondly in this passage. The Bible says, not only without faith it is impossible to please him. Look at the colon, it says For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So there is the prerequisite in faith, but then there is the profession of faith. In other words, Again, we're talking about faith in God's Word, everything that that Hebrews, I mean, what does the writer of Hebrews do? He sends us back to the Old Testament over and over and over and over and over, not to correct it, but to explain it and to help us to understand how the New Covenant fits and is a fulfillment of the Old Covenant. He's not correcting the Old Testament, but fulfilling the Old Testament. And so the, the, whole book of, the whole book of Hebrews is about the Word of God and believing the Word of God. And chapter 11 doesn't depart from that, just the opposite. Chapter 11 takes us to heights unknown and shows us that in all the various dispensations, and a dispensation is simply uh, the way that God deals with someone during a, a given period, that during the dispensations, Every single dispensation is recognized in this passage. And you know how God says you do it? By faith, by faith, by faith. It's not works in this dispensation and sacrifice in this dispensation and being a good boy in this dispensation. That is not what Hebrews tells us. It's by faith, by faith, by faith. Now I'm quick to add that the subject of the faith of the Old Testament, of those in the Old Testament, it varied. We're standing on the backside of Calvary looking back at it. We have a full understanding of it. It's past history. We, 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 we understand what it is. They did not have that luxury. They were looking toward it. They were, it was in front of them. They didn't fully understand that. But the But looking back, you know, we do. What if you were to try to explain to our grandparents what that was? What if you went back to, to 1923 and pulled out an iPhone and tried to explain to your granny what, what you had in your hand? She wouldn't understand it. You couldn't convince her. You couldn't, you couldn't tell her what that was. 1923, they didn't hardly have radio. Okay? So how would you, you you couldn't explain video, you couldn't explain, they wouldn't know any of those things. They wouldn't understand anything of that thing. They wouldn't understand what a phone was, they wouldn't understand what a a computer was, they wouldn't understand what a video was. Today, I mean, we use them all the time. I'm interested to watch how savvy some of our senior saints are with these things. I mean, they, they do real well with them. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty amazed by that myself. I mean, especially when you figure that many of them come from a time that they never even had a television in their home. You know, they, did, they wasn't even around. Uh, and, and many only had a radio when they were, were a kid. And some were too poor to afford that. I mean, you think about it, folks. We've come from indoor toilets and running water. You know, from outdoor toilets and having to run to the well to get it or run to the spring to get it. To the space age, the jet set, and instant communications anywhere in the world. I mean, today Robert listened to prayer time in Bolivia. Now, I mean, they listen all the time, but it's just interesting that today, what uh, Robert's Jerry. Jerry listened down there. Said I'm joining you from Santa Cruz. And we have people from all over, Pakistan, everywhere else today. If we'd have tried to explain that to Dr. Seidler, he wouldn't have understood it. He would have said, shortwave? No, Dr. Seidler, we don't need a shortwave. It's not, we don't have shortwave. Well, how do they hear it? Well, they hear it on their phone. Well, how could you hear it over your phone? That would have been confusing, wouldn't it? He died in 95. Cell phones, portable cell phones were just coming in. We still had bag phones. And portable cell phones were just coming in around that time. When, when, he, when, when he left here, trying to explain to him now that not only can I hear somebody on the opposite side of the earth, I can see them. I can look at them just as plain as I'm looking at you. That'd be hard to understand. It'd be hard to explain to somebody that ain't never seen it. But once you see it, then somebody explains it to you. Well, now, okay, now I get it. I understand. I still don't understand all of the ins and outs of how it's working, But, I mean, it works, don't it? I don't understand. I mean, I can't get this. Every radio transmission in the world is zooming through this room right now. Every one of them. Every television station. Every cell phone. Every two-way communications. All of that stuff's in this room right now at the same time this microphone that I'm talking to you on, it is emitting a transmit signal. Hear it? When I quit submitting, you hear what it does? That, uh, that's emitting a transmitter signal. And that's a end of, it's hard to imagine the invisible coming off the end of that thing right there, there's little electrons and they're running up and down that thing at a very, very high rate of speed. And they're traveling through the air and they're picking up back yonder and it's going through this soundboard. That's almost mind-boggling, isn't it? But here's the funny thing. All the stations, all the TV stations, everything, that's, it's all in this room all at the same time, and they don't bump into each other. That's hard to understand. They don't never bump into each other. If you could take a radio right now and start changing the dial and picking up all those SkyWave stations tonight, AM and FM and then a television and pick up all the frequencies and then a a scanner and pick up all of the, all that's in here. But it don't ever get, because it's on a different frequency, it never interferes with what I'm doing. Only when I get something close to this does it interfere. If I get this one and this one and they're on the same frequency, now we've got a trouble. But I can go away just a little bit and these two will never touch each other. I don't understand that. But it doesn't stop me. I'm putting this mic on. I can't explain to you exactly how it does it. I can't explain to you 60 cycles. AC, alternating current. Anybody want to stand and explain that? These lights that I'm looking at, they're switching. Now, I get DC, like in your car. You got positive, you got negative. And it stays that way all the time. Now I get that. That was Westinghouse design, by the way. No, it wasn't. It was Edison's design. It was DC? Westinghouse design was AC. You know what AC does? It goes positive, negative, positive, negative, positive, negative, positive, negative, positive, negative, sixty times in one second. It's called sixty hertz, or in the old days, sixty kilocycles, meaning that it does that, and not 60 times, but 60 kilocycles, which means 1,000. So 60,000 times a second, it's switching from positive to negative to positive to negative. Now, I don't understand how that works, but it does. And they don't want you to, but you know, you can take the black wire and the white wire, and it don't matter which way you turn them, And on AC, you, they want you to turn all the whites together and all the blacks together, but it'll run either way. Remember the old plugs, that you plug it in this way, turn it upside down, plug it in this way? I remember when radios would hum, and if it was humming, unplug it, turn it over, and plug it back in. Matter of fact, some of the old amplifiers had a switch on it, on, off, on. You know what that was called? It's called polarization. It would flip it where the positive was on one side the negative was on the other side, or the hot and the neutral, it'd switch sides, keep it from humming. Well, I'm, I'm deeper into the illustration than I wanted to be, but I'm trying to say to you, how many tonight will go home and say, I ain't turning no lights on. I refuse to turn the light on. I absolutely, I, I, I will never turn another light on because I don't understand how it works. And therefore, I don't believe it'll work. And therefore, I'm gonna live in the dark the rest of my life. I don't think it'll stop a nary one of us from going there and flipping that light switch up. Just because we don't understand how it works don't stop us from, from believing it works, and from working it and using it, so it is. So the profession of faith, we've got the prerequisite of faith, the profession of faith. The Bible says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now that's just a simple premise, but there's a whole lot of people who don't believe that God is. God exists. Why else would the devil mock the existence of God? Why else would the devil try to keep him out of our thoughts? Why else would the devil try to take substances and remove him from our mind? A lot of people think that, that substances are the evil of themselves. We see what addicting substances do to people. And we say, well, it causes them to quit their jobs, and it ruins their health, and it ruins their, their families, and, and, and that's the bad part of substances. No. You know what the bad part of substance is? It keeps them from realizing they're sinners in need of a Savior. You know why most people can't stay sober? Because they can't face the fact that they're a sinner dying and going to go to hell. And they don't have a peaceful moment if they're sober. And so therefore, they know they're sinners and they got to smoke something, drink something, or shoot something quick. Because they can't afford to be, can't afford to be sober, and those mind-numbing things keep people from God. The next big fight here is going to be marijuana. It's already coming to the reservations. My friend, it's a mind-numbing substance, and it numbs away the conviction of the Holy Ghost. And everybody just—they just, just high, and they just easy to get along with, and they just—I'm okay, you're okay, and just don't. Here's the problem: You're not okay, not if you're lost without God. Amen. But that's what substances do to us. You must believe that He that, that He that He is. Uh, and can I tell you that sometimes you have such a godless world around us, and you see circumstances and things going bad. Okay, here's my question. Okay, they won't even do the Star Spangled Banner at a football game because it's too controversial. Right? They, they don't even do it now. When the, t, when the TV, if they do it, they do it before the TV cameras come on, what, they quit doing it because of the kneeling of the players and all the mess. Right? But when a fella gets hit in the heart the other night and his heart stops, isn't it something that the whole team prayed and that the commentators prayed and had people. We need to pray. We need to pray. Oh, this is bad. We need to pray. I didn't see it, but I heard about it. Isn't it something that the people in the stands were praying? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? They're praying to a god who don't exist. <laughs> about three minutes ago, it was all about liquor and beer, and, and uh, it was all about uh, you know every godless thing you can imagine in the commercials. And now suddenly we're having a big prayer meeting with all these people watching. And don't get me wrong, that's the, that's the only he's alive. Somebody prayed, because he shouldn't be alive. They said the chances of that happening was one in so many million, I forgot what the chances were, of you getting hit at the exact time that that impulse was for your heart to beat. And for the short circuit, the beat that would cause your heart to beat. They said that's... that's you could said if you tried that you couldn't try that you couldn't make that happen again i mean the odds of of doing that are unbelievable but what the amazing part was the odds of him coming back they got out there realized that he was in full arrest they immediately started cpr and he got released from the hospital not only is he alive he's well you know what the first thing he said when he opened, and I'm not an NFL fan, you know what the first thing he said when he opened his eyes, you know what he asked the doctor? Did we win? They were so distraught, both teams said, we ain't going back out there. And they go, oh, you got to go back out there. They said, we ain't going back out there. By consensus, both teams refused to play that game. They said, we are not going back out there. And in a show of unity that I've never seen, one team come in and took a knee all the way around the player and surrounded him. The next team come and stood behind them. Both teams are on the field surrounding him to keep the cameras from you know, peering at him while they're doing CPR on one of their f- players. And a while ago, just, just two minutes prior to that, they're t- doing everything in their power to kill one another. And then when they succeeded, they, they suddenly go into revival mode. Good thing. I'm glad for them. I'm, I'm glad. It, glad it all worked out. Not not being critical at all. But my point is, isn't it amazing how when things how when you know how when things get desperate and when things go bad, suddenly everybody believes in God. Yeah. But that's part of the that's part of this thing of the profession of faith, the being of God. He that cometh to God. Uh, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. How would you come to somebody who's not there? How would you call on somebody who's not there? Why would you do that? And so we act like we forget oftentimes that God exists. But there's not only the being of God, but there's also a very key factor in this, the benevolence of God. Look what the Bible says. He is a rewarder. Boy, that goes against what people will tell you. You see, faith in God's Word sees God as benevolent. Unbelief in God's Word depicts God as being cruel. God is being vicious. God as being unreasonable. God is being hateful. Every time there's a hurricane, there's always oh, an act of God. Every time there's a tornado, always oh, an act of God. Every time somebody gets struck with light, always oh, an act of God. Well, they call it the act of the devil. How come they don't say that in the insurance policies? So it's always blame it on God. Well, you study other gods, and you study the heathen gods. Heathen gods weren't benevolent. Matter of fact, the gods of Rome and the gods of Greece and the gods of Babylon—they were wicked. Matter of fact, they were cruel, and they would harm you if they were not appeased. Tonight, Bolivia, South America, before they start down the, down, uh, the, the, the uh, what's it called? The devil's, death road. the death road, yeah, the, 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 the death road, the, start down through there. The truck drivers will stop and buy a bottle of liquor that's not to drink. They'll stop and they'll get out and they'll pour liquor on their tires on all their tires, and that's to appease the devil, Pochamamba, to appease, and they call him, uh, they call him the uncle, Tio. That's what they call him, the uncle, Tio, to appease Tio. And he is, they say that that God controls from the ground up, but Tio controls from the ground down. And because the earth is the ground, they believe that Teo controls the ground. And therefore, they will do oblations. I've seen them. I've seen the, I've I've been there at the statue where you start down into the the Yungas, and and we start down, I've 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 seen all the stuff. I mean, they burn llama, dried llama fetuses. They burn all this stuff to the gods, (coughs) mostly the gods of the underworld. And it's so that the gods won't do cruel things to them. And they'll pour liquor on their tires, hoping that, that it appeases Tio and keeps him from causing the bank to slide off or causing the tire to blow and then run off in the ditch. And these are, quote unquote, God-fearing Catholic people. But they believe that the devil controls the underworld and therefore they have to appease him. And they're God's Uh, harm if not appeased. I was in the Philippines. They're plowing right up next to a bank, right up next to a cliff. And this Christian man is plowing. No, he's not plowing. They've already plowed. Well, I guess they were doing both. So I guess they were plowing and this other one was coming behind planting. And this is a man who is supposed to be saved. And he would get up next to the bank, and he would come to the edge. And I mean, it's a long way down. It's the ocean. Come right up to the edge of the bank, and he'd stop. But before he would turn, he would do the oddest thing. He would take his hand and put it in the seed sack, and he'd sling a handful of seed over the side. Then he'd go back down this way. And I finally said, what's he doing? And they said, well, old habits are hard to break. I said, what? Said He's trying to appease the God of the sea that he don't send a storm and blow down his garden. He's trying to appease the God of the sea. You ever seen anybody throw salt over their shoulder? You ever seen some of the other things that people do? Just saying. And so the devil and the world, (laughs) they're not rewarders. Just the opposite. But Man, man that acknowledges God's existence, he has a natural fear of God because of his sinful condition. Genesis 3, what happened? They hid themselves in the garden. They hid from God. Why did they hide from God? Well, the commentary, uh, they tell on themselves in verse number 10, said, Why did you hide? He said, Because I was afraid. Why were you afraid? Because I was naked. Who told you I was naked? Who told you that? I hid myself. See what I'm saying? You can always tell, especially when a toddler or a little, little kid. When you come in home from work, you can tell how the day went. You can tell how school went. Kid would come running to meet you. Daddy's home Boy, here they come out of the back room, tear up, run, jump, hug, kiss, swing around. Daddy's home. Oh yeah. But you come in and you go, your father's home. You can't hear a peep. You say, where are you? Where are you, son? Where are you? Where are you? Go in the room. What you doing? Playing. Where's my hug? And if you do get a hug, it's like patchy you know, and you go to, you go to his mama's say, What'd you do? What do you mean? He? Well, you did something. The fellowship's broke. Biggest thing of the day was daddy come home. You know, I mean, that's, that's the highlight of the day. And when he don't run to the door and dad, something's wrong, right? Yeah, there's something, something, something going on here. And so, you know what I'm running into? And I run into this across the country. And when I when I try to preach missions in other places, you know what people they don't say it, but they do. They don't say it with their words, but they say it with their actions. They say something like this We're not really interested in our son being a preacher because he's got a real good future in the NBA. He's only a sixth grader, but, but I've seen him jump and he's going to be the next Shaq O'Neal and he's going to make millions and he's going to build us a really nice house and he's going to be the basketball star that I never was. Now, they don't say that, but that's what they, they're saying. Or my son's going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer and he's going to take care of us in our old age. And listen, we absolutely Don't want him being a preacher because if he's a preacher, he won't be able to take care of himself. We'll end up taking care of him and he won't be able to take care of himself. And so we absolutely don't want him being a preacher. You know how hard it was when one of our young men announced he was a preacher and that he had surrendered to go to Mongolia? You know how hard that was? Number one, preachers didn't want their daughters marrying preachers. Um, You know, they just didn't want their daughters marrying preachers. But worse than that, they didn't want their daughters marrying a missionary. You know, the only, the only ones that were interested was missionaries' daughters, because they lived a life of faith. They, you see what I'm saying?" And so it was natural for them. I had a man tell me. He said, "What's all this missions talk this, this young preacher of yours talking about?" I said, "What do you mean?" He said, well, everybody's down here. I had him down here and said, all he talks about is missions. And he said, I think he likes my daughter. So I'm going to tell you one thing right now. My daughter's not going to the mission field. Ain't no way I'm seeing my grandkids every four years. And I'm just going to tell you straight up, that ain't happening. And if that's what he thinks, he's going, he's got another thought coming. Well, appreciate you minding the will of God in that. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Ghost. That's wonderful. But the idea is, you know, if I get too close to God, God's liable to make me a missionary. If I get too, why? If I get too close to God, God's liable to make me a monk or a nun or something. Hello? By the way, Baptists don't have monks and nuns just just to ease your your troubled mind a little bit. It's okay, it's okay. But can I say it this way? If God does... (laughs) Require that of you. It'll be the greatest thing I ever was. <laughs> it thrill your soul. Yes. It might not at the initial. It might not start with, but it'll become that. And I love to tell a mission story about a certain family. I won't point them out, but they're sitting in here on the back row, and uh, ones wearing black, others wearing gray, and the other, gray and black. And but I ain't gonna point them out. And I remember when the man, the, 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 the husband said, call the missions, call to missions, call to missions, call to missions. Come talk to me about it. They weren't doing too well. Get weren't getting along too well. Things weren't going too well. And I said, what's the matter? He said, well, my wife, don't, she ain't like this idea at all. I said, all right. I said, let's talk. So we got together. I said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to talk about this. Period. Zero. Nothing about the mission field, nothing about anything. Zero. We're just going to go to work, live our lives, just for the rest of this month. It's the month of May, by the way. It's off limits. Nothing can be said in your home. And if one brings it up, I want the other to call the other one down. And if they won't stop, call me. All right, we got agreement. Husband, I ain't out of sight. And the husband says, you know, the mission village, ah, nah. oh, yeah, I forgot. We did agree to that, right? A couple of days later, you know, I wandered back down to the mission. Ah, nah. you promised. Yeah, I promised. And then maybe caught himself a couple times, well, no, I'm sorry, I can't talk about it. And then, uh, well, yeah. no, I can't talk about it. So time goes on and nobody's talking about it. And one day the wife goes, you know, do they have so-and-so at the mission field? She goes, ah. Husband goes, ah. Wait a minute. You're not allowed. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I forgot. And then now on the mission field of that, nah, now you can't do that. You can't do it. By the way, they didn't make it a month. It come down to it and finally one day the wife said, I don't care what the preacher said. I got to talk about it. Amen. And they have given their, not just their life, but they have given their heart, their heart to missions. And uh, through some very, through a civil war and cancer, but still give their heart. Their heart. Their heart's there, okay? It's there. You know they said about Livingston? Livingston was a hero. He was one of the first British missionaries. He was a pioneer in the, in the country of Africa, found Victoria Falls, found a, charted a bunch of the continent of Africa. And when he died in Africa, they made the preparation to bring the body of the great David Livingston back to Blantyre, Scotland, for its burial. And the natives said, no. They said, what do you mean no? They said, you can have the body, but his heart stays here. And they took the heart of David Livingston out of his chest and they buried it on African soil. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm talking about (laughs) the prerequisite of faith. I'm talking about the profession of faith. The being of God and the benevolence of God. But then there's the passion of faith. The Bible says, verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that, look at the last phrase, diligently seek him. The passion of faith. The text specifically says those who diligently seek him can expect a reward. Now, I want you to understand very quickly God is not fair. Somebody, well, wait a minute, preacher, that sounds like blasphemy. No, 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 I want you to understand. Concerning fair, well, as fair today is and politically correct fairness is, God's not fair. He does not check any of the boxes of being fair. In other words, God don't give out participation, participation trophies to everybody that plays. Right. Ain't how it works. You see, everybody's reward is not the same down here and everybody's reward is not going to be the same up there. Not going to happen. And people that tell you that's lying, they don't know their Bible. You don't get the best reward for a mediocre effort in any situation and in anything. And the Bible says those that diligently seek him. And by the way, that's not the minimum daily requirement that most people are looking for. Just tipping God just a little bit. Just to keep him off our case, just a little bit of, you know, just, just enough. Let's have just enough religion about ourselves just to keep God off the, you know, from aggravating us. You know, kind of appease him. At least that's the way the people act. You know what Jeremiah said? He said, Ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart with all your heart. You know, I've thought a whole lot about the rich young ruler. The Lord Jesus said to him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. In Matthew. Mark added, and with all thy strength. And the young man said, I've done that. He lied. Because if he had done that, and he said, all right, give what you have to the poor. The young man said, absolutely. Help me unload it. Send to the house and get all the rest of it. Let's just help these poor people here. No, the Bible said he went so sorrowful because he had much riches. In other words, you're saying he, he had not done that. Because he had not loved God with his whole heart. With his whole mind. With all of his heart, mind, strength. He had not done that. He had not done that. And can I tell, say that we have, none of us have, but I will say this, God does give extra points for effort. <laughs> he, don't, he, don't, he does not reward lazy. He doesn't reward sluggards. He doesn't reward the lack of dedication, but boy, He does reward those that are trying and putting forth an effort. You see, God rewards effort because of the character of God, because that's just. It's not fair, but it's just. And somebody who puts more effort ought to get more reward, and that's the way God deals with it. And so, uh, today, the way we're set up, we actually penalize people for having character, we penalize people for working jobs. We penalize people for getting married. A single woman can get way more benefits with a house load of youngins than she can if she gets married. All that goes away. I heard a woman say and tell me this, that the social services made the statement. This is what they told her. She told the social worker, she said, yeah, me and my boyfriend's gonna get married. She said, oh, don't do that. And she said, "Well, he lives with me." And said, "We're going to get married. We're going to do the right thing." So, oh, don't do that. She said, "All your everything will quit. All this help I've got for you is going to quit." She said, don't do that. Don't get married. She said, "He can live there. It's okay." But don't, well, if you get married, she said, "Suddenly everything changes, and all this stuff I got coming in for you goes away." In other words, our system rewards bad behavior. Did you know that there are seniors that get divorced? on paper, because they can't make it as filing jointly married. And they go get divorced and continue to stay together so they can get bigger benefits than they can if they live together. What does that tell you? What's that promote? A young family trying to have a baby? They can't get no help. Married couple. But you let a girl out of wedlock have a baby? It's all paid for. Turnkey. Don't have to worry. Don't have to worry. man told me he worked at a car dealership. woman come in with a whole car load of youngins. Old car. She gets out and she's looking at a car. And nobody wanted to help her, you know. Didn't feel like she had any money. But anyway, finally one of the Guys went out there to help her. I worked across the street before this happened. And they went out there to help her and said, yes, ma'am. Said, uh, where do you work? Oh, I don't work. Well, you know, where's your husband work? Oh, I ain't got no husband. He said, well, ma'am, you see the sticker price on that car? She said, yes, sir. He said, can you afford that? She said, not right now, but I thinks I'm expecting. In other words, having another young'un was going to up her check. And by upping her check, she'd be able to afford that car. Is anything wrong with that picture? You better know there's something wrong with that picture. You see, God's rewards encourage character. And faith in God's word encourages diligence. So preacher, tell me about it, Well, There's the prerequisite of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. There's the profession of faith. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, that's number one, and that he is a rewarder, that's number two, of them that diligently seek him. That is the passion of faith diligently seek Him. Can I say by the grace of God tonight that this thing of by faith is not just for the missionaries. It's not just for Faith Promise Month. It's not just about what I'm going to give on the fifth Sunday for the coming year. No, no. Understand that this thing about living by faith, it's a lifestyle. Living by faith. Living by faith. Let's practice.